Way of Jesus series that we've been going through. For the past few weeks, we have been digging into the first few verses in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, looking at the Beatitudes, the way that we can live like Jesus and be a distinct disciple of Jesus. And today, we're going to continue this series. We're going to be digging deeper into the Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to be learning how to take that, that distinct way of living as a disciple, and go out into the world and be Jesus. So go ahead and open your Bibles, turn with me to Matthew 5, whether it's on your phone, if you have your physical Bible with you, just open to Matthew 5, and we're going to be in verses 13 through 16. I'll give you a second. I'll give you a longer to open your Bible than I will to contemplate what the Lord has for you this morning. Um, so the first thing that, or not the first thing, oof, let me read this for us. It says, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made salty? It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven." Now, these two metaphors, these metaphors of salt and light, they've always fascinated me. I don't know about your personal upbringing. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard these verses in Matthew. But for me, I heard them regularly growing up in the church. And they always filled me with this sense of awe and wonder and honestly, a little bit of magic. And when I say magic, I'm not talking about like the Harry Potter, let's all start a church debate kind of magic. I'm talking about like when you woke up this morning and it felt like the actual first day of fall, and you took in a breath of that crisp air, that's the kind of magic. Or the first cup of coffee in the morning kind of magic. Or holding a newborn baby kind of magic. Do you know the kind of magic I'm talking about? You all feel me? Who has any other examples? Like what feels magical to you in your life? Taking a cold breath of air, yes. Just like this morning, just, yes, so good. Cookies right out of the oven? Oh, yeah, mm-hmm, so good, so good. What else? Oh, yes, that's so good. Like when you can smell that someone else is grilling and you're like, man, now I want to grill because it's just such like a magical feeling. Yes, anyone else? Oh, yeah, like when you like run into your hotel room and like throw down your bags and you like go out and you're like, there it is, like I can take like a deep breath. I've seen the ocean, like we've made contact. Yes, that is the kind of magic that I'm talking about. And before my daughter was born, I was talking with a family friend and telling her that Winry, our daughter, would be the firstborn grandchild on both sides of our family. And she was so excited for us because she said, you are about to experience the magic again. You are going to get to see the world through the wonder of a child. And she was right. Our daughter, she's one and a half, she gets excited about everything, everything. And when she sees something that excites her, she points to it and she gasps like this. <gasps> like that dramatic every time. And she loves to be outside, she loves to go on a walk. And so when we're outside, she'll see a squirrel. <gasps> or a dog. <gasps> or even a tree. <gasps> she does this thing right now where she wants to touch the tree, like she wants to feel it. And I can even remember the first time that she saw light reflected on the floor, and she pointed at me and looked at me like, what is this? Like, she didn't understand that it was light coming through and reflecting on the floor. 
It's been so beautiful to get to experience the awe and the magic and the wonder. It's been a privilege for my husband and I to see the world through her eyes. And this is the kind of magic that I'm talking about that I feel when I hear these, two, these scriptures. Growing up, when they were read in our church, it was almost like said in reverent tones, like the mysteries of heaven were being revealed to us through salt and through light. And I think that there is a point there that we all can learn from today. So let's look at the first four words as we dive in of verses 13 and 14, which says, you are the salt and you are the light. When Jesus said these things, he was saying something really specific to his his crowd there for the Sermon on the Mount, something that they would have understood immediately. It would have had meaning to them. So in the same way that Jesus knew what the people in the crowd were thinking when he said salt and light, I wanna learn a little bit about us in this room here today. Like what do we think of in this room when we hear salt and we hear light? So let's start with salt. What does salt make you think of? Everything better? Yeah, what? Flavor? Mm -hmm. Blood pressure, oh yeah. Ooh, that one hits home. Yes. Preservation, yeah, great. French fries. You know, Becky, it is so funny that you would say French fries because the first thing that pops into my head when I think of salt is French fries. Yes, I even have a picture to prove it. French fries is what I think of when I think of salt. And this is a little bit embarrassing maybe to say, I'm about to be 31. But, and I've gone to a lot of cool cities, I've eaten at a lot of good restaurants, but french fries might be my favorite food. Like just confession, like I don't know if that's embarrassing or not, but a really good salty fry, like you just can't beat it, am I right? Yeah, yeah, amen, thanks Becky, thanks for that, amen. Um, okay, what about light? What does light make you think of? Sun, someone said the sun, yes. Warmth, mm. new beginning. Hmm. Life, yes, life. Awake. Wow, Jose, that was so like smart. I say french fries and you say the source of energy for chlorophyll. Wow, okay, um, that's really good. Um, so when I think of light, I think of stars, a starry sky. Stars have always been really significant to me in my life. I've always loved them. They've always filled me with some awe and some wonder and some possibility. And there's this quote by Vincent Van Gogh that really sums up how I feel about the stars. It says, I know nothing with any certainty, but the sight of stars makes me dream. The lights that govern the night sky have always filled me with this hope and this wonder. So thank you all for sharing. Thank you, Becky, for agreeing with me. I just wanted to get a sense, like, what do we think of? Jesus knew what the crowd there was thinking of. What do we think of when we think of these things? But I don't wanna skip over the biblical significance of what Jesus was talking about when he talked about salt and light. And some of y'all even mentioned some of the things we're gonna talk about this morning when Jesus was speaking about salt and light. So we're gonna run through these things really quick. Um, so the first thing that I wanna say is salt, salt heals. So salt, do I have that one up there? You can go to the next one. Yeah, I don't know. Salt heals. <laughs> um, so salt, because of the preservative nature, Casey said things salt preserves, because of the preservative nature of salt, it helps to prevent infection and fight back decay. decay. Salt also, um, whew, sorry guys. Salt also um, brings flavor, like Anna said. It brings flavor to our food. It, it, it helps us to um, 
enjoy our food more, like some salty fries. And it also preserves, sorry, that's why. I was looking three down. That's why they were confused. I wasn't following my own script. Salt also um, preserves. And, well, I've already said that one. Sorry, I'm all over the place now. I messed up my own chart. Salt heals. Salt can be used to cleanse wounds. It can be used as an antiseptic that keeps infection from coming into the body. So those are the three things. Salt adds flavor to food, it preserves by fighting back decay, and it heals by being used as an antiseptic that can cleanse. And let's go to light. Light guides. So when we go out at night and we see the stars filling the sky, they create a path for us to walk through in the dark. Or think about the moon or a flashlight, right? We all have flashlights on our phone now. We use these to walk around in the night. Light also reveals. It reveals what is hidden in the dark. And the best way that I know how to share my idea of light revealing is to share a story with y'all. Um, it may be an embarrassing story. I don't know. But one night I was asleep in my bed and I was awoken by a bad dream. Woke me up. And I was, you know, still in that, like, half awake, like, half dream state that you experience. And so I'm like, okay, ugh, that was jarring. Let's go back to sleep. So I, like, roll over, you know, like, get comfy again, like, lay my head on my pillow. And then I stick my hand under my pillow. And there's something there. But because I'm, like, half awake and half asleep, I don't really think about it. I just pick it up. And then my brain, like, clicks in a notch. And it's like, hey, maybe you shouldn't, like, grab mystery items in the dark that you can't see and hold them, and I'm like, hmm, that's a good point, brain. Like, maybe I shouldn't. So I throw it toward my husband, who's sleeping in the bed next to me. And then my brain clicks in another notch, and it's like, hey, maybe you shouldn't throw mystery items that you pick them in the dark at your husband. And I'm like, oh, also an excellent point. So I start waking him up. I'm like shaking him. I'm like, babe, 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 wake up. And he's like, what? And I'm like, um, pick something up. I don't know what it was. And then I threw it at you. And he's like, Okay, um, so he, being the smart one, I'm just laying in bed freaking out, he gets up and he turns on the light so that we can actually see what is going on. And he's looking around, he doesn't see anything, and I'm like, it's fine. It was probably just like a little piece of fuzz. Like, that's what it felt like. You know, like when a piece of thread from your clothes comes off or on your sheets and it gets in your bed, like, that's the way it felt. And so then he, like, turns back the covers and sitting there on our bed is a spider this big, which to me is humongous like giant. I hate spiders. And all I could think of in that moment wasn't like I threw a spider at my husband, was I picked up a spider with my bare hand. I touched it. I grabbed it. I could not sleep in our room for three nights after that. I was so freaked out. But that is what light does. It reveals to us something that we thought was harmless enough to throw at our spouse to be the dangerous thing that it really was. Light also illuminates. So think about being in a dark, shadowy room where things aren't very clear. They're kind of blurred. Maybe they're even confusing. When we turn on a light, things are illuminated. They're made clear. Clear things come out of confusion. So light gives us a greater clarity about things. But the question I have is, why would Jesus say these things? Like, why would he say to the crowd, you are the salt and you are the light? Why was he telling them this? So we just have to look a little further into the scriptures there to learn what he was talking about. In verse 13, it says, you are the salt of the earth, and you are the light, in verse 14, of the world. So Jesus wasn't just telling them what they were. He was telling them where they were meant to be these things, which brings us to the way of Jesus we're talking about this week, which is the way of neighboring, how to take 
who God has called us to be, who we are, and go walk out into the world, out into the earth where we are meant to live it. Jesus was teaching us what our function was meant to be. So then that leads us into an even deeper question. Why salt and light? Like, why does the world, why does the earth need salt and light specifically? I can sum it up in three words. Decay, dullness, and darkness. Romans 8, 19 through 21 says, For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. This world is being held bondage to decay. What does decay look like? How does something become decayed? Something comes in, I know the salt imagery is a little gross. I just need y'all to hang in there with me as we talk about it. But something comes in and it starts to infect, just something little, a germ, bacteria, that's the extent of my science knowledge, um, comes in and it infects something. And as that infection grows, the thing starts to rot or decay and eventually even die. This is how decay is coming into our life and in the world. It starts out small, just some little things in our life, maybe some gossip, some lies, a little bit of jealousy, a little bit of envy, a little bit of anger. And as these things fester in our lives, they start to infect and decay and death comes into the world. Now, one of the primary ways I think the enemy is using decay in our lives right now is decay through stagnation. Think about the example that we find in Revelation 3, verses 15 through 16, in John's letter to the church in Laodicea. He says, I know your deeds, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were one or the other. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I'm about to spit you out of my mouth. Now, the interesting thing here is the church in Laodicea knew a lot about being hot and cold and lukewarm. This was an image they would understand because they were situated in between two cities. To the north, the city had hot springs, and to the south, the city had cold springs. And where they were, by the time it took the water to get to them, it had become stagnant. It was unclean. It was no longer fit to drink. It was so unhealthy that it would infect the body and bring decay. And I believe the enemy is working in our lives in the same way. If he can numb us enough, if he can, if he can distract us enough with the things of this life, we will become lukewarm. We will become stagnant. And before we know it, decay has taken a foothold in our lives. Which brings me to the next, the second D I'm going to talk about this morning, which is dullness. Something that's lacking in flavor or excitement. And to me, it's ironic because never before in the world has entertainment been so easy to access. All of us at the tips of our fingertips have entertainment. We can, we can watch movies. We can listen to books. We can get on social media. There's, there's entertainment and, and excitement and flavor at the tips of our fingertips. And that's how we want it. That's how we like it. We want to know what's happening next. We want to know what exciting thing is coming up. Think about questions that we commonly ask each other. Hey, what are you doing tonight? What are you doing this weekend? Are you going on a vacation soon? We all want a full calendar that gives us some exciting entertainment that's coming up. And not only that, but with the invention of social media, being entertained has become a status symbol so that you can post what you're doing and get likes for it. But the question I have is, are we having any fun? Like, is anyone's day like full of flavor and excitement and fun? 
Do you feel like your friends and your neighbors and your coworkers, are they having fun? Like, is their life full of that? Or are we ending our weeks the same way, tired, worn out, stressed, worried, because we're trying to do the most? And if we feel that way, if any of us in here feel that way, imagine how much more pronounced it is for our friends and our coworkers and our neighbors who don't know the Lord. We have exchanged the adventure that God created for us to live for the definition of success that the world has provided us. We are truly fast asleep, running ourselves ragged, trying to do the most, trying to keep up. But from what I can see, the world is more anxious, depressed, lonely, and bored than ever before. And then there's darkness. I think my spider story basically sums up everything that we need to know about the dangers of darkness. But we have an enemy lurking in the shadows who wants us to keep it dark so that we don't know the danger that we're in. The enemy wants us to believe that we should hide things and lie to keep ourselves safe. And that truth can be found in the knowledge of the things of this world. The dark can cover a lot of things in our life, things that we don't want to be revealed. And I believe that darkness normally comes into our life because of the lies that we are believing. Think about Eve in the garden. Why did she eat the fruit? Because the enemy had deceived her that God was lying to her. And she thought the only way that she could protect herself was to eat the fruit. The lie she was believing made her disobey God. And then she went and hid from God. She wanted to keep it in the dark that she had disobeyed him. When the world believes the lies of the enemy, it is convinced it has something to hide. But let's read in John 3, 19 through 21, which says, this is the verdict. Light has come into the world, but people loved darkness instead of light because their deeds were evil. Everyone who does evil hates the light and will not come into the light for fear that their deeds will be exposed. But whoever lives by the truth comes into the light so that it may be seen plainly what they have done, what, that what they have done has been done in the sight of God. So let's look at verse 21 again. It says, whoever lives by the truth comes into the light. This world thrives in darkness because it doesn't understand the truth. The lies are the only thing that the world knows. It thinks that it's picking up a piece of fuzz when it's a dangerous spider in its hand. The world, John 11, 10 through 11 says, you can go through a day without the fear of stumbling when you walk in the one who gives light to the world, but you will stumble when the light is not in you for you'll be walking in the dark. This world is lost, walking around in darkness, stumbling around, thinking that it knows the truth. And let's be honest, like the world thinks that it knows the truth. Let's go back to this. Not only can we get entertainment at the tips of our fingertips, we can get knowledge. Anything that we might wanna know, we have a search engine on our phone where we can Google the truth or what the world is telling us is the truth. We can read books, we can listen to podcasts, we can watch documentaries. People dedicate their entire career to trying to figure out the meaning of life and the meaning of happiness and then they declare it as truth out into the world. But what we know is that the world is more confused than ever, stumbling around in the dark, and they just need someone to come and turn on the light. So when we hear about these problems in the world, this decay, this dullness, this darkness, I know that all of our hearts in this space are that we wanna do something about it. We all have a desire to be the ones that bring the salt and the light into the world. But what I think happens a lot 
is that we realize this work is really hard and we disqualify ourselves and we discourage ourselves before we even get started. Like I told you earlier, I, growing up, when I heard these verses, they excited me. They filled me with a sense of awe and a sense of wonder. But not only two minutes after I heard them, I would start feeling this guilt and shame because I didn't feel qualified. Who was I to live out salt and light? And often I felt like this scripture was talking about someone with a specific personality. Like I would hear it like, hey, you need to be salt in the world. You need to be so exciting and live with so much flavor and so much extroversion that the world is jealous of how you're living and then they're gonna come into the kingdom. So if you're not living salty enough and if you're not flavorful, that's not gonna happen. Or you have to be a light. You have to be shining so bright that no basket could ever cover you up because you're just so shiny. And if you don't shine just like this, the world's never gonna come into the kingdom. But Jesus is speaking a different word over our lives through these scriptures than that. He is not saying, hey, when you become more fun and more extroverted and more exciting, then you'll be salt. He's not saying, hey, once you get all your ducks in a row and you're the most righteous person in the room and you're ready to shout your testimony from the mountaintop, then you'll be the most, shine, the most shiny person in the room and then you can bring the light. He's not saying that. He is saying, you are. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. Um, and that is just how you were created. That's what you were created to be. Who you are, the unique testimony you have, the unique giftings you have, who you were created to be, that is how you are meant to fight back the decay and the dullness and the darkness of this world, just by being who God called and created you to be. But we cannot do these things, we cannot be salt and light if we disqualify ourselves before we ever get started. We have to believe the identity that Jesus was proclaiming over us as the children of God, we are the salt and the light. And we also cannot do this if we're not choosing to live as salt and light the way we were created to. So let's continue through these verses in verse 13. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. And verses 14 and 15 say, a town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on a stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. Go, Jesus goes past the point here of just telling us what our identity is. He's not just saying you are salt and you are light. He's saying to not be how you were created to be is foolishness. Salt cannot not be salty. It was made to be salty. If it's not being salty like it was created to be, it's worthless. Or a city on a hill, if it's actually lit up, if it is shining, you can't hide it. It can't be hidden. If a light, again, that example, why would you turn on a lamp and then hide it under something? It's not gonna do anything, it's pointless. So if we were created to be salt and light and we're choosing not to be those things in the world, Jesus calls it foolishness. He says we're not living as we were created to be. But the problem is that many of us are caught we're caught between the ways of this world and we're caught between the ways of the kingdom. We have not separated ourselves, we have separated ourselves so much from the world that it doesn't accept us anymore. So we don't get the benefits fully from the world. We don't take all the success, we don't take all the power, we don't take all the glory, we don't take all the fame, we don't take all the money, but we have not distinguished ourselves enough from the kingdom so that we're reaping the benefits that comes with that. The peace, the hope, the comfort, the truth, and the love. Think about that verse in Revelation 3 that I read earlier. If we're not willing to be fully 
set apart as salt and light, we might as well be fully in the world because then at least we'd get the benefits that the world is trying to offer us. At least we would receive those. But instead, we're trying to receive the benefits of both. We want both the world and the kingdom. We all want a successful career, a nice home, a nice car. I mean, it's fall. I want new boots, right? Like, that's where I'm at. We all want to go on really nice vacations. We want, and we want the same thing for our kids. We want them to go to a good college. And we want them to get to have the successful career and the nice car and the nice home and on and on and on. We want to continue this for generations. But then we're surprised when we reap onto ourselves the same pain and loneliness and disappointment and depression and anxiety that the world is experiencing. In truth, we don't trust God enough that this life to live as salt and life will fulfill us. We still want what's fulfilling the world, and we want the fruit of the kingdom. We want the peace and the joy and the hope that the kingdom promises without living that way. And we don't trust that the fruit of the kingdom is better than the fruit of this world. And if we don't believe that, how are we gonna convince anyone in the world that it's true? They're not gonna believe us when they see that we still want what they want. We have to start defining success differently. We cannot continue to define success like the ways of this world. We have to define it as pushing back the decay and the dullness and the darkness of the world. Because as Jesus says, anything else is just foolishness. And this has been very convicting for me because I'm not gonna lie, I burn my candle at both ends. I work here, I usually have one or two side hustles. I have a husband, I have a child, I want a nice house. Aesthetic is very important to me. I want it to be cute. You all feel me? Like I look on Pinterest all the time. Like I want my house to look like that. Like I said, I want new boots. But what I am doing is I am looking at the world and defining success that way. And you know what I'm like finding in myself? That I'm failing. I am failing to live up to the standards of the world. But not only that, I'm failing to live up to standards I was never even created to judge myself against. I was created for different standards. And so are all of you. Scripture has so much to say about this, but I'm just going to read this one scripture to you. Matthew 16, 24 through 26 says, Then Jesus said to his disciples, If you truly want to follow me, you should at once completely reject and disown your own life. And you must be willing to share my cross and experience it as your own, as you continually surrender to my ways. For if you choose self-sacrifice and lose your lives for my glory, you will continually discover true life. But if you choose to keep your lives for yourselves, you will forfeit what you try to keep. For even if you were to gain all the wealth and power of this world at the cost of your own life, what good would that be? And what could be more valuable to you than your own soul? I don't know about you, but I don't want the fruit of this world. I want the fruit of the kingdom. I want to live my life in such a way that I am receiving the peace of the kingdom. And not only that, but I want to show a different way to the world. I don't want them to feel like they have to keep living in this bondage to decay. And I want each of you to believe that too, because, and this is the good news I have for you this morning, you were created to do some incredible things. First, you were created to bring healing. Let's think back to what we talked about before, salt. It's an antiseptic. It's something that can be put on wounds and cleanse them so that they can heal. Think about when you get a cut 
or a bruise on your hands or your knee, what happens? You have an open wound, but not only that, you've allowed a pathway for harmful things to come into your life. The same thing happens to the world. The same thing happens to our neighbors and our coworkers. They've been hurt, sometimes by something they did, sometimes by something someone else did to them, sometimes just because of the circumstances of the world. But they are walking around with unhealed wounds and they're allowing things to come into their life that are keeping them hurt. Things like anger, hate, jealousy, frustration, disappointment, all of these things are leading to infection among the people in the world and us too, honestly. Um, But this is how the enemy takes a foothold in our lives and the lives of others. And we understand because we have walked through the hard but, but fruitful healing process with Jesus. And we get to show the world how to walk in that too. Oftentimes when we're experiencing these hard things that come from being wounded, it's because we either need to receive forgiveness or we need to extend forgiveness. And we, many of us in this room, we understand what that looks like. We've received forgiveness from the Father. We know how healing that is. And we know how healing it is to forgive others. So we get to set that example for the world and bring healing. I remember when my husband and I were living in D.C., he was working at a restaurant to make a little bit of money while he was in grad school. And we got an up-close-and-personal look at some of the wounds that the world is walking around with. The, um, the restaurant was, like, right across the street from our apartment. We'd be there all the time. We knew all of his coworkers really, really well, and they would share things with us. And some of the things were really surprising. <laughs> like, one day, one of his coworkers, who we got really close to, he advised Clyde to start keeping aside half of his tips for himself for the inevitable day when either I would leave him or he would decide to leave me. And I was shocked by this until I realized he's hurt. He's been so hurt by the world that he doesn't think that right relationship can exist. He doesn't trust anyone, and he's advising his friends not to trust anyone. That's how hurt he is. And so we started to hang out with him more, and he got to see our marriage and how we live our life, and he would talk to us, sometimes with tears in his eyes, about how he could see that we were living a different way. We were showing what it can look like to be in a marriage where you can trust one another, to have right relationship that's full of love. And we would talk to him about church and our faith and we never got to see him fully come to know the Lord. But my prayer and my hope and belief is that something about the way we were living started to heal him. It started to remove the things that were infecting his heart and soul and he was believing again that relationship, good loving relationship could exist. And we, we have the responsibility and the honor of showing people what that can look like, what loving relationship can look like. Colossians 3, 12 through 14 says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive one another if any of you has a grievance against someone. Forgive as the Lord forgave you, and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Now imagine the kind of healing that would come into the world, into the lives of those that we know, if we set an example for how to forgive the way Jesus forgave, turning the other cheek, praying for those who persecute you, forgiving 70 times seven times. But salt doesn't just cleanse to prevent infection, it can also be used as a preservative, keeping back decay from the thing that the, dark, that the um, infection is trying to infect. 
and we get to do the same thing. The way that salt does this is it draws out water that can let harmful bacteria sit inside something. Again, not the, not the best imagery, but that's what it does. And we get to do the same. We get to shift atmospheres for how we walk into spaces. We get to draw out the harmful things that can cause infection and lead to decay. A friend of mine was telling me about a coworker that she had once and they were in this office and gossip was a really big problem in the office. Everyone was just talking about each other behind each other's backs and it'd become really unhealthy. And one girl sat down with everyone at lunch and she just said, I'm done. Like, I'm through. I'm not doing this anymore. So if y'all have something to say, don't bring it to me. I'm not going to talk to you about it. And when she did that, she was drawing out the harmful things that were infecting that office with decay. She was pushing back the decay in that office. And when she would walk into a room, talking would sometimes cease because it was the things that she said she wasn't going to have anything to do with. But when that happened, she was stopping death by her presence. That is what we have the opportunity to do. When we walk into spaces, our presence can stop the decay and the death that is in those spaces by choosing to live another way. But our calling goes beyond healing because once you're healed, you can start to change. Pastor Martin Lloyd-Jones, this awesome pastor and theologian who Douglas introduced me to, um, Douglas has just given all the... uh, the tidbits these days, just the things that we, anyway, not important. Um, so Douglas introduced me to him. You should look him up. But he says that he thinks that the order that Jesus teaches us in is significance. First salt and then light. Because when we come in and we're salt in a space and we're changing atmospheres, we're giving the world a taste of what a different way can look like. And then we come in with the light and we can guide them into how they can walk that way for themselves. So, which brings me to my second thing. You were created to shine. Let's read verse 14 through 16 again. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. People can taste and see the goodness of the kingdom when we live like salt but they can come into the full redemptive power of the kingdom when we shine like light. Think about the properties of light we talked about earlier. Light guides, light reveals, light illuminates. That same power to do those things is within you. You, with who you were created and called to be, your unique giftings, your unique story, you can guide people into the presence of Jesus. You can reveal the hidden things so that they can be transformed. And you can illuminate the truth in a world that's very confusing and chaotic. So how do we do this? How do we shine our light? First, we embody truth. So think about what I said earlier about the the knowledge of the world and how easily we can access it. Think about this past year and a half. I don't know about you, but on my social media channels, everyone had become an expert. We saw this everywhere. An expert in politics, an expert in religion, an expert in healthcare. Across the map, on all sides, everyone thought that they had the answer for how all of us should be navigating a pandemic. Everyone thought that they knew. And we have information and knowledge coming at us from all directions, things that people are claiming to be true. And we, as people who are meant to shine our light, have a responsibility to bring what is actually true into the world so that people's lives can be changed. But we're not meant to bring the truth the same way the world is trying to. Jesus brought the truth in such a countercultural way that he was killed for it. So we are called to bring the truth but in a way that looks different from the world. And I think we do that by embodying it. I think we've done a lot of talking. 
all of us. We've shared a lot of things that we think are true. We've taken in a lot of talking to try to figure out what's true. But what we need to do is embody the truth. 1 Corinthians 13, one through three says, if I speak in the tongues of men or angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. We can all have all of the knowledge of men and of angels, but if we aren't out there living love for our neighbors and our coworkers, it's not gonna make any difference. It's just gonna add to the noise. And I don't know about you, but I feel like the world has enough noise and not enough love. And that we all, the way that we bring truth and we illuminate the confusing and chaotic things of this world is we live love. Secondly, we have to own our own story. 1 Peter 2, 9 through 10 says, but you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. We have to remember that we've all been in darkness, all of us. We have all experienced the dark things of this world, and we've all experienced God pulling us out into the light. But sometimes the world needs to hear about the darkness so that it can come into the light. So many people have done this for me in my life, but one thing, specific example I think of is my campus pastor in college. There was one week when he was preaching this sermon, and it was all about his personal testimony, the things that he'd walked through. And he starts talking about his struggle with anxiety. And he starts naming some things that he used to do when he was growing up as a child. He would go back downstairs after everyone was asleep and he'd check the locks on the doors. Or he'd look under his bed before he went to sleep. Or he would worry that one of his close family members would be in an accident. And as he's talking about these specific examples, I can feel myself sinking lower and lower in my chair. Because I'm just sure he's reading my diary in front of everyone. I had experienced all of these things. And until this moment, I thought everyone else had too. I thought this was a normal part of growing up. But here I hear my campus pastor on stage talking about them, and he's giving them a name. He's calling them anxiety, and he's telling them that he's found healing from them. So my confusion turns into relief as I realize I can name the dark things in my life, and I can find healing from them. That made a huge shift in my life, and I saw that my campus pastor understood the assignment. He knew that he had to bring up the dark things of his past so that he could draw more people into the light so that they could call their dark things by name and find healing for them. That is what we are called to do from the world, to speak from dark places so that people can come into the light and be transformed and know our Father in heaven and glorify him. Which brings me to my last thing that you were created to do. You are created to be magic. Remember what we talked about earlier, all of those magical moments that we talked about, the different things that we named, looking at the ocean from the balcony of our hotel room, just waiting to get down there. Or I think of fireflies on a summer night. Or I'm gonna say coffee again because coffee is like the most magical thing in my life. Or seeing the wonder of the world through your child's eyes. Or a salty basket of fries or a sky full of stars. My senior year of high school, my youth pastor took us on this trip across the country. We drove from Georgia up to Montana and into Canada in a church bus. Was he crazy? Maybe. But he gave us the trip of a lifetime. While we were in Canada, we hiked up to the top of this mountain, and we were going to spend the night there. And we were all sitting around a fire, just kind of talking and chatting. 
but I had my back turned the other way. Like I was sitting on a log, but the other direction because I was looking at the stars because as you all know, I like them. Um, and I start to see this light creeping up over the horizon. And I'm like, what is that? And so my youth pastor actually happened to be sitting next to me and I lean over to him and I'm like, hey, what's that? And he gets this look on his face. He's shocked and he goes, that is the northern lights. And as we were sitting there, the northern lights started to creep up over into the sky and we all couldn't help it. We began to worship. I have a photo of it. Oh, you can't really see. You can see it there. We all started to worship. We couldn't help it. We were filled with such awe and wonder for the glory and the magnitude of the Father that we had to stand up and we had to start worshiping. Psalms 19, one through four says, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. They have no speech. They use no words. No sound is heard from them. Yet their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the ends of the world. Romans 1.20 says, For his invisible attributes, that is, his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly seen since the creation of the world, being understood through what he has made. But the really cool thing is that Matthew 5.16 sounds pretty similar. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. The same magical quality that we experience in the beauty of creation that causes us to want to worship lives inside of you. You have the magical qualities you were created to bring the things that will cause people to glorify their Father in heaven just by living like salt and like light. And this might sound like a tall order, but the cool thing is that Jesus already told us how to do it. Think about these past few weeks where we've been studying the Beatitudes. In those scriptures, he revealed to us how to live so distinctly that the world would be in awe and of wonder of a different way to live and they would glorify their Father in heaven. So if you're wondering how to do it, it's written right there in scripture, how to be a distinct disciple and bring the salt and light. So um, the band can go ahead and come up. I'm gonna end today with just one more magical story for you all to kind of illustrate this. So my mom has a unique spiritual gift and you won't find it laid out perfectly in scripture. Sorry, she's here this morning, she's gonna make me cry. You won't find it perfectly laid out in scripture, but it is hidden between verses. And it is the spiritual gift of the life story. Everywhere we go, Old Navy, the Starbucks drive-through, the grocery store, she gets held up by someone telling her all about their life. And it used to annoy all of us. We'd all be waiting outside the store with my siblings. I'm one of five kids, so we're all out there. Like you can just imagine it. And we're like, where is mom? We're like, oh, she's hearing another life story. But as I grew older, I started to realize this was not normal. Something different was happening here. And it's not like she was just directly asking people, like, hey, tell me your whole life story. It was just that she cared and she took some time. Imagine you at the grocery checkout counter. How do conversations usually go? Hey, how are you? Oh, I'm good. How are you? It's been a long day. I'm pretty busy. Yeah, I feel you. Okay, $20. You get it. But with her, all she did was ask one different question. How's your day? It's been long. Oh, I'm sorry. What's been going on? And pretty soon within those three minutes, she knows their great aunt's name and she's promised to pray for their hip surgery that they have coming up this Saturday. <laughs> this is salt and light. This is changing the narrative and walking in a different way simply by asking the questions that the world won't. This is the way of neighboring carrying a posture that is so different from the world around us that people feel our love and they 
feel the love of the Father. This is how we heal, and this is how we shine, and this is how we live as magic, slowly and deliberately with every person we meet. So, Father, I just want to thank you for this time that we've had together. I want to thank you for every person in the room and how you have created them uniquely to be magic, to bring salt and light the only way that they can by the unique way that they were created. I just thank you for the beautiful things that you are going to do through their lives this week as they go out into the world and live this way. I thank you for the fruit of the kingdom that is going to come from the way that they set themselves apart and live like salt and light. Amen.